Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So today I'm going to talk about a topic that's gained a little bit of media attention in the last week or so. The ABC in Australia has done some investigative journalism for want of a better word, in relation to the use of ICSI by doctors in Australia and suggested, based on some alleged experts, that we overuse it. So first of all, what is ICSI? ICSI is the technique developed nearly 30 years ago for the placement or the injection of a single sperm into the egg. So in normal physiology... 100,000-odd sperm come swimming up the fallopian tube to find the egg, and then uh, one of them, by selection process that we still don't understand, uh, attaches itself to the eggshell and through chemical processes enters the egg itself and carries with it its chromosome set, which will link up with the mum's egg's chromosome set to produce a pregnancy. In that process, the head of the sperm disconnects from the tail of the sperm and normal fertilization is likely then to follow. With ICSI, what was discovered is that losing of the tail probably doesn't make any difference and you can inject a whole sperm into an egg and get good fertilization rates equivalent to doing it in a dish with 100,000 sperms swimming around. Now, that technique of ICSI adds expense. Uh, the equipment required is quite expensive. It's basically like a, a video game. You need to have control handles that link to an injector set and a very fine 
glass needle which is so fine it can actually penetrate the eggshell and at the right time. So Medicare in Australia have recognised that extra cost and there's a, a rebate of just under $400 for that. But most clinics uh, charge another couple of hundred dollars on top of that because of the extra time that is required. There is controversy as to whether ICSI might in fact reduce pregnancy rates in patients where normal fertilisation might be possible. A recent paper coming out of Melbourne, although it's a retrospective review, did suggest that fertilisation rates might be a little lower and that the pregnancy rates might be a little lower, which is consistent with some other studies around the world, although there have been studies showing that there's absolutely no difference. So, is it necessary, is it not, is what uh, people are arguing. So if we look around the world, Australia has a relatively low rate. Our average number of ICSI cycles is about 62%. It was as high as 65% two or three years ago. It's come down a little in the last year or two. In America, sometimes in some clinics, it's as high as 95%. In the Arabic countries, it is virtually 100%, as it is in some European countries. In Scandinavia and Holland, uh, rates are more like around 50%. So there is wide variation across the world. Its main indication is to help sperm situations where there is very low numbers of sperm or very immotile sperm. So that you can pick up a sperm and inseminate it and you don't need the, the hundred odd thousands swimming around an egg to achieve it. So it revolutionised male fertility because many of these men had to go to donor sperm because IVF didn't work for them. Based upon the diagnosis of male infertility, counting for some 30 to 40% of couples' cause of infertility, one could argue that you only need 30 to 40% of cases having ICSI. But there are other indications. And those people who criticise the 60% in Australia probably haven't thought this all through. So, what are the additional reasons? Well, certainly in my practice, and I think it's consistent with most other specialists, whenever there's a possibility that fertilisation may not occur, which obviously is one of the worst outcomes for a patient, we tend to use ICSI. We worry that if we go through a cycle and the patient pays the whole cycle fee, ends up collecting eggs and then we do IVF and the next morning the scientist says, sorry, there's failed fertilisation. That occurs in about one in 200 patients. So it's not that common, but there are patients that are at higher risk and it will be much higher than one in 200. For them, the trauma of getting failed fertilisation is significant. And we as specialists wish to avoid that as long as we're doing no harm in the process. And as I've said already, there is controversy whether there is harm or not. The various situations where we might think that the next this cycle is going to have a problem with fertilisation are where, firstly, a patient has been through a cycle before and has either had no fertilisation with IVF or very poor fertilisation. So our normal expectation with IVF, with normal sperm counts, 
is that 60 to 70 percent of eggs will fertilize and begin the journey towards a pregnancy. So if we get a 30 percent fertilization rate or less than that with IVF, we definitely would move on to ICSI in the hope of improving fertilization rates and therefore end up with more embryos and therefore more babies. So failed or poor fertilization probably accounts for 10 or 15 percent of the extra cases above basic male fertility. I also believe, and it's again slightly controversial, but I'm convinced that when a patient with unexplained infertility goes through intrauterine insemination on a series of occasions and pregnancy does not occur, it may be that the egg and the sperm, even though they're normal in numbers, basically look at each other in the fallopian tube and say, no thanks. That may be antibodies, we don't understand what it might be, but if I have failed IUI patients and they move on to IVF, I always do ICSI because I want to be sure that's not the problem. There's one small study out of Perth from a number of years ago now which showed that failed fertilization in patients who'd been through IUI and not conceived was about 1 in 50. I previously mentioned that the average is about 1 in 200. So here is a group that are at higher risk of failed fertilization and therefore ICSI, I believe, uh, avoids potential problem of disappointment. It used to be that if we were going to do genetic testing on embryos, undertaking genetic testing of embryos required ICSI because there was a fear that the genetic material from other sperm attaching to the eggshell might make the result of the genetic testing incorrect. The evidence now suggests that's not necessary and so IVF is, is now the chosen way forward with PGT. So the last group and, and probably the most controversial group are women over 40. Should they have a fertilization undertaken with ICSI or allow nature to take its course? Many of us have a concern that in women over 40, the eggshell is thicker and, <clears throat> and therefore may inhibit the penetration of a sperm with normal IVF. So many of us have routinely done ICSI for women over 40. Recently, there have been publications that suggest it makes no difference. And that may be the case. And I'm certainly reviewing my thoughts in relation to ICSI for women over 40. So it's a much more complex issue than just male fertility. And I believe that the Australian rate of ICSI usage is justified. And the critics are probably wrong. But that doesn't mean that for you as an individual patient, you shouldn't question why the doctor is ticking ICSI in the preparation of your treatment cycle. Because it may be that for some doctors, I know there are clinics, for instance, in Melbourne where the, the ICSI rate is 90%, way above the national average, and their pregnancy rates are no better than anybody else's. So ask your doctor, because it will be an increased expense to you, and perhaps an unnecessary procedure in your pursuit of your baby.
And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.